0: it's a very traditional song it's well known uh, in the clinket community and it's one of those social Kulzu social gathering songs you know basically the how we selected those songs was um, Clarissa and Jean had spent some time in the uh, a theater troupe called Nakahiti um, and they were based out of Juneau. they were very active in the late 80s and early 90s and they um, they toured up and down the west coast and 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 so they were given a certain number of these traditional songs um, to perform in the theater troupe and so I was asking them what songs would you see it you know befitting for us to use and Gusuae was one it's basically a song that is kind of like, you know, again, kind of a singing in a round and calling out the different clans that might be present in a, a ceremony. And so it's something for everybody to, uh, to, to join in and participate with. And then when your clan is called up, then you're, you know, then you get more animated and you, you're just kind of standing up front and, um, and it's just a, you know, it's just a big uh, social dance, really. Um, and so, uh, by doing it the way that we did, was obviously very different than the way that it sounds traditionally. <laughs> In fact, we, we've done some. Like like Huna, Huna um, exit is one in particular that's a, a pretty well-known uh, song. But um, it's also like I think it's a Deshitan um, entrance song or exit song. It's used in both ways, but it's. You know it's kind of like a, a, a one of the bigger sort of well-known and and crowd-pleaser songs that are sung in a in a, a traditional potlatch or a kuik it's sort of uh one that you know almost everybody every clinket person knows that melody in that song um so we did get permission to perform that one by the clan group and um but I think, too, there was, uh, because it, we, we turned it into, you know, a bit of a drone, you know, and really heavy with, you know, heavy, you know, guitar feedback and just really, uh, you know, just that energy that, you know, with the beat behind it, um, it was, uh, you know, I don't know that it's, uh, I think some people were, were maybe... Taken by surprise, you know, and maybe not in a good way, because you know, they didn't, they didn't know, um, never heard anything like it, you know. But I, you know, again, it's sort of like Jimi Hendrix playing the national anthem, you know, kind of thing. Kind of like, you know, it's, it's,
1: uh, it's beautiful.
2: and we were paid to sit with elders and just listen to them tell stories and sit with them and, and eat eat with them spend amount, a large amount of time with them travel with them you know as they mentored us you know and so that's you know an um, and education that they, there's no way no western school setting or anything can like duplicate no way. And so I was like really just grateful and fortunate to have done that and um, of learning how to listen. You know, I'm still learning, you know, and, and still and, and, and my whole thing, too, is like, how can I pass that on? How can I pass it on, that the listening and the tapping into it, and, you know, of, of whatever that is, because we all have that, not only if you're native, but, in, uh, but human beings. There's a vibration on the earth that's that, that holds that, that listening, holds that vibration. was about dreams we'd always just i mean Chris and i would just pop into just like deep conversations like hey it's good to see you right on hey i had this dream you know hey let let me tell you about this dream i had you know and and then she'd just go into it and describe it the images that she saw she would start describing it and if you see those old elder storytellers they they speak to you but they're speaking they're not hearing the words They'll close their eyes what, what they're doing is they're seeing the images and how are they going to describe the images how are they going to describe that you know that's like bernie would tap in and grab you know just those those sounds and those rhythms you know that were out there that that the average person the rhythms that were out there um that just they would they couldn't hear but there's people who tap into that
3: Inch in a steep Yadu Uhan, we ha kusti Yadu Uhan, we ha kusti hus ha, ha in ye ye ha has, ha a steep Uhan ye tea Hashuka hus, ha it eat a sheep Lake na Uhan yea ha yatim Yan shootun eatundatani so that
1: that song, the bass line started. But Preston had the skeleton through a bass line, and it was like a Curtis Mayfield kind of yeah. vibe at first.
0: Ca- called it the, the the placeholder was called Clinket uh, Mayfield. <laughs> that was that was the. Uh, yeah, it was like the the constant like rim tap, you know, on the on the, on there, and and it uh, and it is based on a a clan song. It was a song that Clarissa brought and she reinterpreted it. So it, she she stretched out the vocals, um, and so I, I I gave her the bass line and then she added the vocals over the top of it. So then that's what became the basis of like what we tried to do in the studio, and that was. Um, and then again, it just uh, the way the drums gave it that feel. I think it, it, it just kind of it just kind of sh- naturally shifted into that. Uh, and so Rio de Juno <laughs> became like, well, that sounds you know that's kind of, that's, it's kind of uh, you know humorous in a way. Uh, and so that's why we called it that one. But that that uh, yeah, it was just kind of like a little scratch idea that turned into a piece. song that uh was the very first thing that we recorded when we you know walked into the studio um was a riff that was based on uh gene's singing and um and i just kind of came up with the you know, chord progression that went under it and so there was very little discussion we just walked right in and started playing it and it was and it came out uh you know the way it did. But I thought it was a really good sort of jump-off point for um, the sound that we were trying to create. So
4: playing,
0: playing it back was really interesting because Clarissa Rizal was, you know, she was the other singer that we were working with um, one of the co-founders of the group and she was, you know, hadn't really recorded this kind of music before and the way that she felt the, you know, the drums like really pumped up loud in the mixing booth, you know, and it just hits you right in the chest. And and she was just like, oh my God, this is really, this is really powerful. album the Wilderness Within because when we like in reference to that first uh, that first track she felt like this was an awakening uh, uh, and a new way of, of um, uh, presenting a traditional song and that the power behind it you know what, what she was feeling was something that was awakening the wilderness within and so that's what we called the first album.
1: Yeah, we didn't like and again we like we didn't rehearse any of it. I remember I had I had a guitar I had a guitar part for it and just played that and everybody else fell in and we didn't know what Clarissa was gonna do.
5: Say you were to come back, knocking at her painted door, a design you know is coho. She would welcome you into her large dark one room lodge lit by a couple of kerosene wall lamps from L.L. Bean, where at first you did not notice the smoke from the fire in the center of the room, trailing up to the smoke hole above, where White Raven tried to fly out, but got stuck and became blackened forever.
1: I think she said, I'm going to do something on this. And you're like, all right, yeah, you're... (laughs) of course it says she wants to do a piece on it <laughs> you let Curtis do a piece on it right Right. but yeah and she just yeah i remember playing that and we i think we only did one take of it because just the the energy of the the piece you know that story that she was telling was like wow like yeah. we can't can't do a second take on that one and have it come out with that with that energy again because it's like some things right. they only happen once and they never happen again and if we were to Try to do another take on that. It wouldn't, it wouldn't have had the chills that that you get the first time you're hearing those words. And we didn't know the story that she was going to tell. No, so no. everything was reacting like in real time. And that was one of the cool things about Bernie with the spoken word pieces. You know, and again, he hasn't hadn't heard them before we we did it. Then then and there, you know, and he his piece would react to the dynamics of of the story and the words that were being said and you can hear kind of like not quite call, like a, a call, call and response kind of like call and response but without the call just like he's hearing something and he's reacting know, whereas most people would would have a reaction through thoughts in their head like right. you got to hear what was going on in Bernie's head in reaction yep. to what was being said coming out through his fingers on the on the keyboard
0: yeah, that was and and it was interesting cuz that particular piece um the the tonality of the of the chords that, you know, you came up with um was a perfect cadence for the the style of the spoken word piece cuz it was kind of eerie and it was kind of, you know, um had like the idea that it was in this, you know, clan house that was had, you know, not a lot of natural light coming into it and you, know, you could almost kind of, you know, you could, it, it evoked so much around that and the way that they, you know, reacted to each other. And sometimes her, you know, her, her cadence would get kind of amped up and then, you know, everybody would be reacting to what she was doing. And that was, that, those p- pieces are really, really fascinating to me.
5: You did not notice the carved Alderwood mask smiling with one gold tooth. Flickering by candlelight propped next to the cedar bark basket On that driftwood shelf to your right And in its shadow below The carved bentwood boxes That held the clan's button dance blankets Each made of wool bought from the house of fabrics With two thousand mother-of-pearl buttons On each of them from Winona's And six hundred turquoise beads Barked from the stateside Indians Who sat in the sun she hardly ever got And what about the sealskin boots parked next to your feet, and sealskin coat embellished with brass beads, feathers, and leather fringe? And the sealskin and wolf fur hat and matching mittens hanging on the brass hooks screwed into the cedar-planked wall? Did you smell cedar when you walked in? And did you see the soapstone puffin bird carved by your great-grandson when he was nine? The small bentwood box that used to be yours, now stuffed with glass beads for the beading projects of your great-granddaughter.
1: I, th- I think sometimes Clarissa doesn't get like if if we have people outside the group covering the group. You know, Bernie's like the touch point, but Clarissa was as important within the group. Plus, she was as important to you know, like the weaving work that she did for example as bernie was to the innovations and the synthesizer stuff that he did and that it's you know there's such parallels in you know being the masters in their field
2: well they're they're both masters in their craft and who they were absolutely and, and not you know and 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 being a master in your craft i mean you you don't see the world like this with blinders on. You see the world totally with those blinders off, you know, and, and what we call, we look at the world with owl eyes. And even when you look with the, at the world with owl eyes, you know, owl native made of people's, you know, you're, t- you're stepping into that spiritual realm too. And they're both so much and very open with acknowledging and talking about that as well. And, and both Bernie and Clarissa, it, you know, even if you didn't know who they were, that they were masters at their craft, there's those individuals that can walk into a room and change the space with just with their presence. And both of them were that, that, that way.
5: How about that Chilkat dance blanket hanging on the loom over there in the corner, away from the mud, away from the ashes and crumbs? The only weaving in the world where you can weave the perfect circle, therefore perfect for your style of design. And she learned it, the weaving from Jenny, two months before she died, last of the traditional weavers. And they say it takes at least a year to weave a robe, but how would you know? You didn't know how to weave, or did you? Through clan inheritance, only a select few knew when you were around. And it was almost a dying art, they say except for the ones outside of tribal customs who quickly learned what they could, weaving together bits of the dangling knowledge. And she was one to help weave pieces of the heritage back so she could earn prestige, recognition, and $40,000 a robe. So she could buy pretty clothes, new shoes, new dishes, towels, laptops, stereo, sewing machine, lawnmower, Vitamix, and iPhone. So she could buy a piece of land, where her ancestors once fished to build her cedar home and to buy a toyota truck to haul all of her new possessions and firewood in and then bury a septic tank for a flushing commode and install a generator for it all to to be in and by the new flat screen TV sitting on the oak cabinet beside the stack of American Indian art books and magazines, surrounded by masks, booms, boxes, skins, beads, and stones, surrounded by what she strives to make as art, what the art can sell for, what the money she makes from selling the art can buy, what the buying of anything she desires she has discovered has eventually sold pieces of her soul where the selling of her soul has left but a faint light in her life. Say you were to come back, knocking at her painted door. You would not even notice the dim world behind her, full of smoky objects casting shadows, drifting upwards through a blackened hole. You would look into her eyes only and know that the faint light had held on, for you, and the next time you were ready, you would take her with you when you went.
0: And I think you know one really cool example of storytelling and and poetry, um, like in regards to the song "Angry Bear," which is one that I like to talk. I like to um, hold that up as an example kind of a hybrid of styles that that I really really love in the group in fact that riff you know Rob came up with that riff and that became um, almost like the standard in my mind the, of the kind of you know you know groove and and style that that, that I just really admire And, and it's got the, I, I call it sort of beat poetry, because Gene is such a great storyteller. I mean, that's really one of his um, things that he's really focused on. And so he does take that storytelling into new realms, into new uh, ways, um, more contemporary ways, and talking about contemporary themes and issues, you know, in, in the context of the story.
6: Walking down the street just the other day, Brother Raven was coming my way. So I said, hey, Brother Raven, you got some time? I'd like to ask some questions, like to pick your mind. He said, come on, son, let's go for a walk to the coffee shop up the block. Now that's where we can talk, yeah. That's with Raven. Brother Raven, he's alive. So you freed the stars, the moon, and the sun. You brought the daylight to everyone. What's the answer to it all? Oh, he said it's for the people, man. That's where
2: it's at. Working for the people. That's where it's at. Working for the people. How Angry Bear came out was uh, it's actually lyrics from another song that I wrote. And I just uh, started just tossing them. We're in the studio and I just started tossing them on there. And uh, just seeing if it would fit. And. And sure enough, it did at the time. And so many of our songs, that's how it started. It just started off with a jam, or maybe some. Sometimes Rob would uh, um, come in and say, "Hey, I got this here uh, uh, rhythm right here. You know, my try it. it's, you know, kind of cool. I might just try it out, and just see where it goes." And that's often the question of pressing or, or Rob. He'd, he'd come in with the rhythm too, and he'd just go, "Hey, what do you got for this?" and uh, and sometimes I I have no idea and it's like, let's see what happens you know, and I originally wrote that song um, being up here in Southeast Alaska you know, being of the Raven Clan and Raven being the trickster of (laughs) the and and so many other places as well He brought the spirit to the man from the
6: fire from our motherland He got some help from Brother Huck and when he hit the scene, man he pumped it up his beak he held that flame and it burned his face but in his pain he brought that spirit to the man that's what we're talking about here bringing that spirit to the people raven took that spirit and he threw it into the rocks he threw it into the trees into the mountains into the water he took that spirit and he threw it into all the animals he took that spirit and he threw it into the human beings but now we all hold that to spirit Help our ancestors, That, spirit
4: of that the,
1: the riff is really—it's comes that melody that the riff is in is like Siksika style. That's you know Northern Plains style melody put into a put into a guitar riff, and mm-hmm. you know I think even though I I love prog rock and. You know i get my king crimson on and and my zappa on and i like music with that's intentionally in you know non four four time signatures but you know a lot traditionally a lot of native music is is not in like a a four four like a tidy seamless end of like four four time signatures it's Mm -hmm. like the you know in in a lot of Native music, the the meter follows the melody. The melody does not follow the meter. So, you know, if you were to transcribe a lot of like powwow music, um, it wouldn't be in like a series, you know, the steady series of four fours. It's just the the meter is as long the melody goes. Maybe there's a, a beat or two of a rest and then, you know, the next melodic segment starts. So, a lot of we have a lot of music that falls outside of four four, but it's not really intentionally trying to be proggy or anything like that. Or it's just like, no, this is traditional style music that's integrated into this other other style, and the meter follows the melody. So the riff, like in in Angry Bear, it's it's in. Ten four, because that's how the melody falls.
0: that song angry bear because it's got like you know and it's one of the you know thinking of the performances of the different uh you know musicians like stanton more he plays incredibly on that particular track i mean he he you know he was unflappable because it was you know a different time signature but he and he just pushed it into a new realm and some of the, like even like as the crescendo of the song, as we're you know finishing it up, and some of the drum rolls are like super incredible. I mean, I I think uh, I I I listen for them every time. It's like because there there's something that I think is so um so special about you know what he brought to the group and that song in particular. It's very very cool.
1: So I remember Stanton? He was he was he, he came in with a bunch of those like was like six-hour energy caffeine drinks (laughs) came in sound checked the drums took some of like the the caffeine juice and that's probably why some of the drum fills on that song are so are so bonkers because it's like yeah stanton just got his his caffeine boost over there one I did in we did in the studio like the first session I went to that was the first song of the of the session that That was the first thing we did (laughs) so Preston brought me in so I'd so I grew up I was born and raised in Seattle group in the Seattle area and so Indian country as big as it is is still really small in a lot of ways so um, I went to college At Evergreen, and the longhouse director there is Tina Kukon, who's a mutual friend of Preston and I's. And um, when I moved back to Washington, you know, years back, she and I was like, Hey, I'm trying to find, you know, some other musicians to play with, other native musicians to play with. And she's like, Oh, you should. I should introduce you to Preston because he's, he's doing mm-hmm. funk and you're like a hardcore funk guy and I should put you guys in contact with each other and it turned out Preston knew this band Red Earth that I played in back in Albuquerque and he was familiar with that group so that was kind of like, oh yeah, that's, that's me from that. Tina says we should meet up and we started talking and at that point then Preston was doing a little big band project and I was kind of... Putting out, I guess what you would call underground stuff, not on right. label. Right. <laughs> I was throwing demos around, and he heard some of my stuff, and he was like, "Oh yeah, you play keyboard too? You should. Do you have any ideas for keyboard stuff for this little big band album?" So then, I started overdubbing keyboards on that, even though we hadn't met right. in person. Basically, then- he came through Bellingham one day. And just hand over the hard drive. And he was like, <laughs> okay, just take that to the studio and throw some stuff on there.
0: It was really, uh, it was kind of funny, because when I walked, I drove up to Bellingham, and he said, yeah, meet me here on this corner. And I was like, this sort of, you know, almost clandestine <laughs> meeting. I was like, okay, well, you know, have fun with it. When it came down to uh, the Kuik sec- sessions, the first, the first one, you know, I did go in uh you know just really bare bones and and Rob was like hey how did that session go it's like you know if you need any help <laughs> and i was like yeah 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 i know i know everybody you know it's like but you know what the hell i said uh you know i'm sure so then I said, um, "Well, we're gonna we're gonna go in for session two. You know, we're gonna try this. So let's 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 do, um, yeah. Let's put our heads together and, and kick some ideas back and forth. So we were doing like, you know, I'm pretty sure it was like cell phone, like you know, playing. You know, I think you're playing like you're not even plugged into an amplifier. You're playing like you know your your guitar in your bathroom or something. <laughs> There's one you know?
1: part I didn't have like a, a computer recording rig that was working. So at one point, I, had, I was doing like. Making drum programming in Ableton coming out of a coming out of a computer speaker in the bathroom while I had like the mini amp just close enough <laughs> to pick yeah. up on the cell phone. So that was like like Rez recording classic <laughs> right there, like the bathroom recording with
0: <laughs> Yeah.
1: <laughs> involving a computer, a cell phone, a guitar amp, and a plastic tub upside down with everything <laughs> sitting on it. that one started as a guitar part I think that was one of like the bathroom scratch tracks <laughs> <laughs> and yeah I just that was just a skeleton of like a Gary Scheider kind of Glenn Goins kind of guitar line and came up with the bass part and the studio just be like alright what what's the next idea somebody has and <laughs> yeah. we just played that and then yeah then it just, Stanton just played and Bernie just played and Bernie was that was another one where Bernie was all over the place where he was on clavinet and dropped a synth bass thing that one was cool because there's like dueling bass because there's like you're, you had like that distorted like Monstrous heavy bass tone, and then Bernie was playing like the synth bass along with it. If you have two bass lines going at the same time, it can get like really murky and muddy and not out sounding good but that was one of the, the genius of Bernie that he could <laughs> he could play a synth bass part on top of a bass like a, a string bass play it just close enough but also different enough that somehow it, it works it fills space but it doesn't like clash or come out just like a, a blurred mess oh. I think the the title, no more. Like we didn't have a song for it. It's just it sounded like, like a long house just getting hit with a tsunami wave, <laughs> and no more planks. It's like yeah. the ocean just took out a house. So,
0: yeah, that's that's one of my favorite uh, tracks. You know, even when we play it live too, because it's it's kind of like our flashlight riff. I'll never forget, like a live gig when we when I was standing up on stage and I'm playing "Flashlight" with Bernie Worrell on stage, and we're you know it's just like oh my god, it's like it was one of those uh, deja vu moments, like you are just like out of body experience. <laughs>
1: Story so like uh, T Funk. <laughs> well, we tracked it. It was way longer. It got truncated down. But there was one part where you know there was two organ solos that Bernie did at the end, and I went home with the recording. And I learned like transcribe Bernie's organ solos, like note for note. it be like, I'm I'm gonna do some fusion stuff and just double the organ solos with the guitar solo where it's doing like note for note. It's gonna sound badass. And then you get to the you get there on overdub day and the solo part that you were gonna double has been deleted out of the arrangement. <laughs> After you spent like a couple hours you know you get bernie organ bernie organ solos are not easy stuff to transcribe so it so oh my God, man.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: but there's a good learning opportunity you know it's like i learned a lot transcribing those organ solos but yeah but again you just exhale and mm. all right it wasn't wasn't meant to be
0: I, I will have to say this, and I think I already told you, you know, Skarik was, you know, unsure, like, about bringing you know, anybody else in.
7: It's got to be people that can um, play anything, especially the drummers. They, they have to be able to play anything, and um, at any time, stuff's going to come up really fast, and, you know, you just have to be really good listeners and just you know, not having technical limitations. Everyone in the room, whether it's you know, engineers or assistants or musicians, everyone is contributing to the feeling of the music. So everyone in the room has we gotta all be on the same
3: page. (laughs) (laughs) I yet Kusani, Yakutti. She out with a Nikki, Kusani, Yakutti. She out with I Kusani, ye She Shia with
4: a Kusani, a Nikki,
0: started playing and then it just clicked and i think it was all you know it was all good but you know having not met him before um he was a little trepidatious because you know um but it, but it, it in the end it all worked out obviously you know really really well um and because of the styles of music that we wanted to bring out and so you know Rob had a lot of scratch ideas and oftentimes he'll like you know he'll have a main riff or something and I'll listen to it and I'll come up with like a beat part or you know or you know a chorus or whatever and then sometimes I'll have a main riff and then he'll you know he'll add to that and So we just kick ideas back and forth, and that's how a lot of this stuff comes together. was um again just a a riff that uh we started jamming on i mean at the time you know for me going into the studio with uh stanton moore and bernie and, and uh, uh and skerrick you know skerrick and i were buddies and and you know it's been a long time since i was like you know it uh, a full-time everyday bass player, you know, and so I sometimes feel kinda, especially at that time, I felt kinda limited like in my ability, and that was a, a riff that I had kinda jammed on or jammed with. different layering that we did with, you know, the the keyboards, multiple keyboard tracks, you know, just gave this really um, cool uh, vibe.
7: then do a lot of the writing and um what when all the basics are recorded basic tracks basically I'll just go in there with Randall and no one else will be around in the studio really maybe it'll be the two of us or maybe there'll be another horn player like Hans Weber or or whoever's needed and I'll just go and start writing all the horn parts on top of it. So following what what has been improvised in the bed or composed of in the, the foundation of the song. It's really cool to have those moments. And it's just Randall and I just in the salt marines, you know, you just for you know like hours just like, okay, let me overdub another section. You know, let me over let me overdub this part, this part. So you kind of get into this rhythm.
0: You know, there, there's, you know, that one in particular, it's got, it's got a, such a a climax to it that it's really, you know, again, just working with the energy and having Stanton Moore, you know, like, you know, when I'm just not much of a bass player, but you know, having Stanton Moore, you know kick you into high gear with his <laughs> he he really can kind of drive the the energy of uh, of a of a jam <laughs> there like reacting to what Stanton's doing and I'm just kind of like hanging on for dear life really you know Um, and so that was a very organic thing that just you know was a jam Um, again not knowing what we were going to do to we didn't end up adding any vocals to that particular song but uh, and then Rob came in retroactively and played the entire uh, you know played the entire composition as an overdub and it felt like you're there the whole time, you know? Synergy. I mean, I think you said that was a tricky one.
1: That was a hard one, man. The guitar part it was it's not it's not a very complex one, but it's just like did it, did it, did it, did it, did it, did it
0: Participation in this creative process as well, because he always had the idea of like, oh, a different sound. Like he would say, okay, Bernie, hey, how about organ on this one, or how about you know, uh, Rhodes on this, or whatever it was going to be. And then he would, um, or like a Moog line, you know, or solo or whatever it was going to be. So he was also a big part of that layering. And I think that, you know, we did sometimes we had so many layers, it, you know, we had the ability to pick and choose like the different. Things to highlight to accentuate the,
7: the music. I always try. I always try to include Randall whenever there's a group music being made. That is um, its primary source of improvisation. Uh, Randall is is. Uh, really great and it's very natural for him. He fits right in to that vibe and that
4: scene.
0: You know, he was kind of arranging stuff as in, without really knowing, but I think he, he was, in his mind, he had sort of a, a, a place saver, like, okay, that's where the horns are going to come
1: He's he's best known for his work with uh, Sun and with Earth. So he produced, like, Sun's Monoliths and Dimensions, which is, in a lot of ways, music is like their definitive opus, you know, with Earth. You know, they were already kind of a legendary band by the time he started working with them. He kind of got in kind of after they'd gone on hiatus and and kind of resumed and you know he produced like their Hex record and the Bees Made Honey and the Lion's Skull um, which are kind of more fault within I guess we would call like drone, heavy drone music um, but his, his scope definitely goes a lot further than that because so he knew Scarrick because he you know done production work with Skerrick like on Garage a Trois like, he's done, like, Avid King albums, Creators Bugging. Mean, he's, he's pretty, yeah, I mean, he's, for, he's just, like, he's a great sonic sculptor with sound, and he's also a good guider on, you know, projects as they're happening. So a lot of people will, like, record albums and then go to him to mix them, but it's like when he's, Doing the production and engineering at the beginning stage definitely has a different quality to it. In a lot of ways, he kind of has a, a cinematic, I guess, element to the way he sculpts sound and kind of guides people through the creative process, which I think has kind of fostered where a lot of the albums, our albums, have like a cinematic element to them where it, it kind of feels like an analogy to you know being like a director and a cinematographer whereas like the musicians are kind of the actors and the screenwriters I guess and but yeah I've I think when the more we go into it the more I think we've looked at it like yeah these are like movies in sound you know they're kind of fall into being concept records in a lot of ways but I think we've definitely wanted to have like an arc similar to like if you're watching a movie and I think that that's I, with my approach to things I've kind of gone more in, in that direction just because I find it like an interesting way to approach music making and you know looking at like what people like um, like George a. Romero and like Lucio Fulci and Dario Argento and you know how can you apply that screenwriting stuff and like that approach to making a movie, how can you carry that over to like making a record?
2: just those those sounds and those rhythms, you know, that were out there that that the average person, the rhythms that were out there, um, that just they would they couldn't hear. But there's people who tap into that. Like people who I was watching this documentary on an individual who's blind and how he sees the sounds. He sees the sounds. He can't see with his vision, but he sees the sounds. And it's like there's such that you know. And I was like, it just blew me away when he was describing you know, as the sounds and those that, that that's out there that is is present. But but we're, we walk again. We walk in the world like this so many times with blinders on. You know, like Clarissa and Bernie, they walked with the blinders off. They saw the world with owl eyes.
1: So Surpassed is another one of those songs where the, the time signature is following the melody. So that actually alternates between being in 12-8 and I think being in 13-8. But it doesn't sound like it's in a weird signature, just because again, it's following what the melody does. So I, I came up with that one and brought it in that, that first session I was at, and it ended up sounding like way different after everything else got added, added on to it. And it was really, what I love about it is, you know, it it did come out kind of proggy, where, you know, it sounds, you know, with the, you know, Keith Emerson is one of Bernie's favorite synth players, and you know, after we tracked it, it was like he was playing Rhodes on it, but Randall had him go out and do like a Moog overdub on top of it, and then that just took it up to like Emerson, Lake, and Palmer vibe, and yeah, Bernie's synth playing on that. I remember everyone was just kind of up against the, the glass because he, we all played together in the room and then he went into overdub by himself. And so we're all like in the in the, the listening room and just everyone against the glass just like watching him go off and just coax all these insane, insane sounds. And it was like, wow.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That would, and it's so subsequently that song has kind of become... A bit of a um, well, Gene calls it a prayer song. It's like surpassed. It's like one song that um, you know when we performed it at the um, um, the record release, we we had like kind of a photo montage of Bernie and and we brought you know his you know, leather fringe jacket and kinda of smudged it and, you know, did this whole ceremony around it and it was kinda of, so it's kind of almost become like default become like that. Yeah. You know, that's how we feel about that particular song when we perform it live
2: What one performance we had for, for Bernie and the remembrance Bernie and stuff like that. That was that was a total spiritual experience. You know, and I don't I don't for for the band it was. For Kari it was. And we just brought everyone along with us.